So let's turn now to our gospel lesson this morning, this Sunday after Easter, the first or second Sunday of the season of Easter, comes to us from the Gospel of John, the 20th chapter. Now listen now for God's word to you this morning. This is on the first Easter. This is the day that Jesus was resurrected. And when it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors were locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As my Father has sent me, so I send you. When he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were again in the house and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Gracious God, we pray that you'll grant us the eyes to see, the ears to hear, the hearts and minds to understand your word and your world as best we can this day, for we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, by the way, welcome back everybody who was down in Mexico last week. We're glad to have you here in worship today and joining us online, those who are here. Of course, one of the big questions we're left with this Sunday after Easter is, can the dead come back to life? You ever ask that question, wonder about it? Well, you know, I guess it depends. It depends. I remember a few years ago, I was looking at a map of the state of California from the late 1800s, from the 1800s, and I, I noticed this big body of water between Fresno and Bakersfield. But, you know, over the years, I have driven up and down and back and forth across the San Joaquin Valley many times, and I never saw a lake out there, at least not a big one. So I looked it up, and sure enough, it is true. At one time, Tulare Lake was the largest body of fresh water west of the Mississippi River at 600 square miles three times bigger than Lake Tahoe. But you know, as those of us who've been in the valley, over the years, the water of the lake was dried up with the intensification of agriculture and with the building of towns and eventually with, with highways, so that by the year 1899, 1899, 
Tulare Lake had more or less completely dried up. Until this year. Right? Because with all the rain that we've had in our state this past year, the valley is getting flooded all over the place. I was driving between uh, San Diego and the Bay Area a couple weeks ago, and I saw it with my own eyes. And as the Sierra snowpack melts later on, you know, the spring and summer, and the waters come down into the valley with the rivers and streams, there's going to be a lot more water. It's going to get a lot more flooded, and a lot of the people who live out there are going to be facing a big disaster, bigger than exists now. So, which is, you know, I just looked at the, Googled it up, to, Googled it today, Tulare Lake, and there's a headline in the New York Times from two weeks ago that puts it perfectly. It says, the, the headline for the article is, The Resurrection of Tulare Lake. You kind of have to see it to believe it. Not the headline, but the lake. I mean, there, how many of you have looked online and, or TV and seen images of what's going on in the Central Valley? It is amazing. There's drone footage of, of what's going on, and there, there are uh, before and after pictures taken from satellites. It's amazing. And as a resident of the nearby town of Corcoran put it, it looks like there's an ocean in my backyard. It's going to get bigger. <laughs> I read that it's going to be up to 200 square miles by the fall, as big as Lake Top. So anyway, it turns out that some things can come back to life, like lakes. What about people? Well, I don't know. There are lots of stories, and I've heard them from some of you even, about near-death experiences, but I I honestly have never seen with my own eyes somebody walking around alive when I knew for a fact that they'd been dead for three days. So I'm right there with Thomas. I'm right there with Thomas when he hears from the other disciples that they have seen Jesus alive when he knows for a fact that he's dead. Thomas won't accept it unless he can see the mark of the nails in his hands and the put his finger in the mark, and touch Jesus' side. And you know, even though doubting Thomas gets kind of a bad rap in Christian history, I've always identified with him. I've always liked him because he speaks my language. Speaks my language, evidence. Like when I was in college, I hadn't been to church for a few years. Uh, I guess I must have been a senior or something like that. And on a dare, I went to a Bible study one night at college, and as luck would have it, we were talking about Thomas, and as the conversation went on and on, I remember getting angrier and angrier because I didn't get why Thomas, who needed proof that Jesus was alive, got what he wanted, but I didn't. Like millions of other people through the centuries. So, you know, true confessions here, hard as it is for me to say, given my current line of work, <laughs> I took out my frustrations on the, the college pastor who was fresh out of seminary. Yes, I copped to that. I'm sorry if you're watching. In a very pointed way, <laughs> I, know we, I know where he's working today too, by the way, so. Um, 
in a pointed way, I asked, why is it that Jesus showed himself unambiguously to Thomas, but not to me? And I didn't get a good answer, at least one I was ready to hear. What I wanted was hard evidence. You ever felt that way? You ever felt that way? About God or Jesus or faith? You want evidence. Because as modern people, we are brought up with the idea that seeing is believing. Right? And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, you don't want to be taken for a sucker or a fool or anything like that. The... uh, Overtly atheist writer Sam Harris put it like this in his book entitled The End of Faith. Quote, we can believe a proposition to be true only because something in our own experience or in our reasoning about the world actually speaks to the truth of the proposition in question. To believe, therefore, requires empirical or logical evidence. But the Bible says, and generations of Christians show, that it is possible to have an authentic, life-changing relationship with Jesus when not a single one of us has ever seen him physically with our own eyes. So what are we supposed to believe? Well, remember the story of that gloomy evening before Easter, or on Easter, the first Easter. Most of, the G- of Jesus' disciples are gathered together behind a locked door in a room in Jerusalem. It says, for fear of the Jews, they, they didn't want to get arrested. You know, Peter denied Jesus. These disciples were afraid of being out followers of Jesus. And then suddenly, he's right there with them. <laughs> Somehow... Jesus comes through a locked door. He says, shalom, which means peace, to his terrified disciples. And then he breathes on them the Holy Spirit. Now that's the Gospel of John's way of describing how the church itself comes into existence. As the body of Christ on earth by the power of the Holy Spirit. The other Gospels tell the story differently. But that's John's take. The Spirit is breathed into, onto the disciples by Jesus. It's the same Spirit who keeps on breathing in and empowering people like you and me to believe and be in relationship with Jesus even when we've never laid eyes on Him. Because the truth is, strange as it sounds to our modern ears, when it comes to faith, Seeing really isn't believing. Evidence can help, but faith comes first. Or as St. Augustine wrote, the reward for faith is to see what you believe. There's a story of a missionary who was translating the Bible from English into the, to the local language and These people he was trying to translate the Bible for had never heard of Jesus, so he's trying to get them to understand what he meant by the word believe. Believe. And then one day, as he was struggling to translate John 3.16, a man who had converted, become a Christian, came to him, knocked on the door, and, and, and he wanted to talk about his faith with the missionary. And so the missionary 
as they talked, asked the guy, you know, how would you translate the, the word believe in your own language? What would be the best word? And the man thought about it for a minute. And then he said, I think the best way to describe the word believe would be to say, to sit down. To sit down. And this puzzled the missionary, so he asked the guy to explain, and the guy said this. You are sitting on a chair. Therefore, you must trust that the chair is going to hold you up. And the missionary caught the meaning right away, and so he translated John 3.16 as follows. God loved the world so much that he sent his only son that whoever sits down on him will never fall, but will always live. I like that image. It can lead in a lot of different directions, right? Believing a sitting could, could mean something like finding stability or comfort. It could mean accepting a set of ideas as being true, like when we, we say, how does that sit with you? Right? How does that sit with you? You can either accept it or not. Believing a sitting could also mean settling, settling down, or staying put, not concerning yourself with anything that might upset your established way of being or thinking. I know plenty of people like that. Plenty of Christians, too. But is that really what it means to believe in Jesus Christ? To settle? Sit still? I don't think so. To have everything figured out, set in stone, that doesn't sound like the Jesus that we come across in the Gospels at all, does it? Not at all. He is the guy who turned lives around and turned the world upside down. Or the Jesus we hear about or see alive in other people or experience as alive in our own lives. That Jesus just doesn't sit still. Jesus keeps moving, acting, living. Which brings us to another way of thinking about sitting with faith. You know, 2,000 years ago, it was very common in many cultures, but in the Jewish culture of 2,000 years ago in which Jesus lived, it was very common for rabbis when they were teaching or sharing with other people to sit, to sit with them. And then everybody else would gather around. They would all be sitting together. Put everyone on the same level. So there was give and take. Relationships were built based on mutuality and honesty and trust. Even love. So rabbis sat with their disciples, with their students, with the people. But they didn't just stay there. They moved around. They went from village to village, town to town. It was a movable classroom, if you will. And that's what Jesus did too. You might remember earlier in the Gospel of John, one of his future disciples asks him, where are you staying? Or where are you sitting? Where are you teaching? And Jesus says to him, come and see. So they go, they sit, they stay, they learn, and then they get up and go and follow Jesus along to the next place where he goes to sit down and teach and preach 
and do the kinds of things that he would do. They learn about Jesus more and more in sitting, but also in the movement he takes them on the way. They follow him in trust and love, and as they sit and move and sit and move some more with him, gradually their eyes open and they see. They see who Jesus is, they see God's presence in him, and they start to see and feel the same thing growing in themselves. Which brings us back to Thomas. Because remember, he wasn't around for all the fireworks on Easter. So for eight whole days, he can't believe that Jesus is alive. He's not going to be taken for a fool. But then, as you heard, it happens again. From out of the blue, Jesus shows up, appears to Thomas. He offers him exactly what he said he needed in order to believe, physical proof. But did you notice? It's easy to miss this. Did you notice in the text? Thomas doesn't actually touch Jesus. Turns out he doesn't need to. Because Jesus touches him. He breathes the Spirit upon him or into him. And Thomas falls to his knees and says that great statement of faith, My Lord and my God. And then you heard Jesus' response, didn't you? Jesus' response to Thomas's exclamation, proclamation of faith is this. You believe because you've seen me. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. And those words, those words are meant for all of us, for you and me, anybody who's come in the 2,000 years since and anybody in the future. Those words are for us because we are blessed not for having irrefutable, irrefutable, irrefutable proof that bodies get resurrected. We are blessed because the Spirit of God is inside of us, sitting with our own spirits and giving us the eyes of faith. So this Sunday after Easter, how's your vision? How's your vision? Can you see Jesus in your own life in some way? Alive, active, doing the things that Jesus does and calls us to do. Have you seen him? If you're like me, you know, the answer is probably yes and no. <laughs> it varies from day to day. And that's all right. I mean, there are lots of things that can cloud our vision. So many images and ideas and expectations and frustrations and doubts and fears. It can be so hard to see Jesus sometimes alive right now in our own lives. Which means that like Thomas, sometimes we want to look for evidence or support for what we believe. So you can read a book or a Bible or listen to a sermon or a podcast or do something else to develop your ideas about Jesus in your head or about God or about faith or any to develop your beliefs as a set of ideas up here. In fact, that's one of the greatest definitions of theology as faith-seeking understanding. 
And that's great. That makes us all theologians, by the way. But notice, comes before understanding. Before you can grasp something as being true about God, you are grasped by the grace and the power and the love of God. Maybe you remember the exact, same, the exact moment that first happened to you, when you could trust God. Or maybe it happened gradually in the ordinary ups and downs of life, up and down and all over the place. Maybe it was more gradual that you came to faith in Jesus Christ. But whatever, however it came to you, that faith, that that trust, it does boil down to not ideas in your head, doctrines, things to believe. It boils down to trust. Boils down to having a relationship, sitting on Jesus, sitting with Jesus and the Holy Spirit, sitting with you wherever you are in life. That's how the eyes of faith get open. That's how you see Jesus alive in you and people around you, especially those who are the most vulnerable, those who are oppressed, depressed, forgotten. Those are the ones that Jesus was with. Those are the people he saw the easiest, the most, and tried to help. And eventually, you may be able to encounter Jesus Christ in all of creation with eyes wide open. And with Mary Magdalene, you can say, I have seen the Lord. You know, it's been said that that was the first ever Easter sermon. Those five words came from a woman, Mary Magdalene. I have seen the Lord. And then the second Easter sermon is when the other disciples tell Thomas the same thing. We have seen the Lord. Well, my hope for all of us today is that we can preach the same message. What we say, how we act, what we do in our lives, not because we have physical evidence or logical arguments for how exactly a dead body can rise again, but because our lives have been transformed by sitting for a while with Jesus and sharing his way of love. Amen. Well, as you have heard the word, whatever God is communicating to you about grace and faith and how to live and sitting with Christ. Let us respond to that grace, that gift, the gift of Easter, and be gracious in our own offering this morning.